Welcome to Talking Teaching. We really don't want to be like the generals preparing for the last war. It's so easy to say, oh, when I was young, this is what I did and this will be good for you too. It's really important to understand what has changed and what hasn't and understanding that whatever the goalposts were for the previous generation, those goalposts have moved. Hello, I'm Genevieve Costigan. In this episode of Talking Teaching, we'll explore the differences and the commonalities that have emerged from the Life Patterns Longitudinal Study. This study, which began in the early 1990s, has followed two generations of young Australians who left school in 1991 and in 2006, commonly known as Gen X and Gen Y. And now, thanks to another Australian Research Council grant, the study will now include a new cohort of Gen Zs, or Zoomers as they are sometimes known. Professor Jim Waterston, Dean of the Graduate School of Education at the University of Melbourne, talks to Professor Joanna Wynne, who leads this groundbreaking study, about what we've learnt over the past decades of the challenges young people face and what their greatest concerns are. Professor Wynne specialises in longitudinal research of young people, documenting their transitions across the dimensions of education, work, wellbeing, relationships and family life. She is a Fellow of the Academy of Social Sciences in both Australia and the UK. Over to you, Jim. Well, today I'm joined by Professor Joanna Wynne, who has had an illustrious career, um, and uh, we'll be talking specifically about um, the Life Patterns Research Program, which um, started with a secondary school cohort who graduated, I think, in 1991. And since that time, a second cohort was introduced who left secondary school in 2006. That's right. So now they're, this year they're aged uh, between 32 and 33. Uh, we also have continued to track them. Of course, that gives us an incredible opportunity to compare the lives of effectively two generations and how they have built their lives, how they've used education, how they've managed all the things that get, get thrown at you as you're making your life and building that trajectory. We are now being funded to begin a third cohort. We're hoping to recruit around 4,000 students in, in the year 11 so that we uh, capture them at the time when they're making some really important decisions about their futures. This will enable us to tell the COVID story for this generation. It seems to be one of the, one of the great pieces of work that um, has uh, an impact on, on school performance, school behaviour and, and teaching and learning. And so can you tell us a little bit about that and a bit about the methodology of how this has worked over the 30-year over the period? Sure, everyone would, would be keen to know exactly how do you do this, um, that we uh, have a process where we, uh, we do surveys of the entire sample. Um, so at the outset, that will be a sample of around 4,000 people opt out but it still retains a very high level of participation over time. We also select a subsample and then we interview once every two years. So we do get that more personal um, feedback. So we do a, n a number of things that both um, quantitative uh, deep drilling into what are the big patterns and also the qualitative work that enables us to say, we think this means that this is happening or that's happening. Notionally, these three cohorts um are generally described as Gen X, Gen Y and Gen Z. Is that right? That would be right, as it so happens. Yes, it wasn't really set up that way originally, but as, as events have happened, 
that is exactly how it has um, worked out. So that's a useful kind of um, process for being able to look at what's changed over time. We really don't want to be like the generals preparing for the last war. It's so easy to say, oh, when I was young, this is what I did and this will be good for you too. It's really important to understand what has changed and what hasn't and be able to um, work with the realities of new circumstances and uh, and support young people to work with those new circumstances. So let's explore this work through the three themes that you've identified to t- speak about today. So the first theme you've, you've termed precarious work, the gig economy and non-standard work. Can you talk a little bit about your findings um, in, in, the, in that area? Um, I think this is one of the most challenging things for, for us in education because in a way um, the, the rationale for doing really well in school is that you'll get a good job. And the gig economy and the increasing precarity of work, that people are on short-term contracts and and little bits of piecemeal work, means that that connection is much harder for young people to make. Um, There's a lot less job security. So we are looking at uh, young people struggling to to work out how can I even uh, have a long-term relationship. I don't have the funds to support living in a longer-term relationship, everything's too short-term. I might have to move. I might have to uh, go back to education. I can't, there's no stability. So those things are really, um, really pressing for young people and for their families as well, as as families look at having to sometimes bear the costs of of young people's dependence for much, much longer than than they would have once. Now knowing about um, the challenges that, that are being faced in a, in a you know, quickly sort of growing um, uh, economy that uh, that's sort of leaving a few people behind. How do schools respond? You, you did say that, that traditionally schools have been about um, preparing young people for a job. Um, is, is that something that we should rethink? Yes, we do and we don't. We're, we are preparing young people for a job, but that job may be long, long way down the track. You know, what we're finding uh, with our cohort too, these are the ones who are now aged 30, 32 and 33, it takes at least five years of constant strategizing after they graduate. So if not just finish school, but graduate from a tertiary degree to get a little bit of a hold on the area that they wanted to work in, the job they want to get. And even then, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a secure job. It just means, yes, they've made that link now. We do need to be aware that uh, we're not just giving the young people, hopefully we're not just giving them skills in doing the doing literacy in um, being good at those academic subjects or being good at more uh, traditional skills but we're also giving them skills in thinking in being flexible in understanding the world you need to be able to read the world teachers have always done this kind of work but it couldn't be more important now as we need to see young people being able to hold on to hope being able to strategize in ways that are flexible about the skills they have, uh, about the the knowledge they have, and use it in diverse ways. So, so the second theme, which sort of runs um, pretty coherently out of the first theme, is really about the education work nexus, which we've talked about. And, and um, do we really need to have the mission of education be uh, around um, preparing young people for a job because it's really, I think I'm hearing you saying, it's more about preparing them for life. I think if you, as you said yourself, Jim, if we want to really support young people, we are also having to own up to preparing them for life in a broader sense. 
and um, that comes back to enabling them to uh, to be resilient. To um, they're going to have to understand a lot more about how mental health is protected, how they remain mentally and physically safe for the long journey to proceed to achieve their aims. And I suppose um, uh, you've been able to see some of that through the two cohorts, but I, I would imagine the new cohort that you're now recruiting will give you a really great insight into, into how, how much the world has changed since you began uh, the study. Already we've been, of course, we've been interviewing uh, cohorts one and two in the interim as well. COVID is, is having a dramatic impact on them as well. And it's starting to uh, really bring to the fore the kinds of things that people are finding helpful. And I think that's going to be really useful to feedback into um, schools and to other practitioners. Um, clearly, there are there are personal qualities that people can foster, uh, but also, obviously, it's the networks. So it's the fabric of relationships that are supportive, not just economically, but also um, socially and culturally. But it's also the fabric of things in terms of uh, more institutional supports. This is proving to be so incredibly important. We're finding that um, one of the key things, perhaps ironically given the breakdown and the nexus between education and work, education is still a key resource. So I guess schools are really, and education in general is focused on ensuring that all people are lifelong learners rather than just preparing for a job, a single job. It is about lifelong learning, absolutely. What kind of a learner am I? How do I learn things? How do I identify what I need to learn? Those are some of the skills that they're going to need in spades. So so you identify the third theme of, of the huge body of work that you've been involved in as being how do, how do um, young adults make sense of all of this? And you, you yes. identify three really important qualities that... Um, that will sustain them. We're looking at uh, a broadened concept of resilience that encompasses all the social things as well as the personal qualities and looking at how people manage uh, to create a narrative or a story for themselves that enables them to go forward. Um, so one of the things that people have been just telling us is that they have to stop going on Facebook because there are all these things being displayed there about how fabulous other people are. And, and they're thinking, well, why isn't my life working out so fabulously? So those performative things that actually create unrealistic expectations are a little bit toxic for people. And they're needing to withdraw from that and just be more aware of their, their own, the realities of their lives. And, and also making things work in the smaller parts of your life. I think it sounds really um, humble, but it's actually one of the, one of the strategies that our, our participants are using. We're also looking at how people sustain hope and um, mapping how people have hope. Sometimes it's it's just pie in the sky. Sometimes it's based on a strategy. So being able to to support those more real strategies, and in, and many times it is the realities about okay, if you want to go end up in this kind of work, these are the kinds of educational qualifications you will need. So clearer information about pathways through education can be really helpful in creating uh, realism around hope that then enables people to move on. And we're also just looking at ways in which people, uh, quite creative ways in which people use their education to to make where they are work for them. How would you categorise the two cohorts that you've, um, that you've been working with for, for a long period of time now in terms of the differences between the two and then perhaps the commonalities that you've seen um, that span that span both groups. 
Yeah, we're always looking to see um, what the what the generational differences are. I would say that cohort two, that's the ones who are in their early 30s right now, they've learned a lot from the previous generation. They are really very um, switched on to this need to be flexible. We're seeing in the data, they understand that things have changed and they're very aware of the ways in which jobs are becoming insecure. There needs to be a flip and think about how you respond to this insecurity in the world and look at creating a narrative which helps you to be sure of where you're going and also use the resources that are available. Um, the first cohort that we we analysed, um, they left school in 1991. They got the shock of their lives. They did not expect what happened would happen. 1991 was when we actually had many, many, many more people. It was a surge into tertiary education because that was the way forward and they were hoping that would then, boom, security once you've done that and it didn't happen. There was a huge recession. There was a huge change in policies, very huge shocks for that generation. And they relied on family to a much greater degree to some extent because those were the only resources available. But although there are differences in how they're managing these circumstances, we're actually a bit surprised. There's a real synergy between the two generations around their concern about the environment. They see the environment um, in crisis as being the biggest issue for Australia at the moment. There is also a synergy between the two generations in um, a lack of confidence in their, the political leaders at the minute, in financial institutions and in large corporations. So we are seeing, in a, in a sense, some political convergence uh, across the two generations. But at a, at a finer grain level, how they manage their own lives and, and how they see the, the strategies that are needed for that are perhaps understandably a little different. How do you see this cohort that you're taking on now in terms of the pandemic and, and, and all three cohorts, really? None of us expected we'd be in this position. And even, even if we did predict a pandemic, we still can't see the way out of it. So so what would what would you think that schools really need to be focused on knowing, knowing what you've learned from the previous two um, cohorts about um, trying to deal with the... Um, Lack of hope, I think, that, that I'm hearing. What should we be doing now to really focus on, on students in schools and, and people everywhere to make sure that we can we can get through this? Yes, I think COVID will uh, bring a lot of a lot of uh, commonalities for people. But the next generation, the third one, who are who are currently um, in year eleven, they are facing a very deep shock because the COVID pattern is um well, it's going to be with us for quite a long time, and they've had in some respects, and a shock to their own education while they were at secondary school, not beyond. But I think that the message is actually very similar across it all. What we are increasingly seeing is a, a need for there to be understandings that people can hold on to, that we're still part of a community, there is still support available, an understanding that whatever the goalposts were, for the previous generation, those goalposts have moved and not to be too hard on yourself that you're not reaching that goalpost. It's not anyone's fault. Engendering a sense of confidence in making decisions about going forward that don't necessarily reflect the patterns of the past and then knowing kinds of resources that can be put to get to bear on it. Where, are, where, where do I get support? Who do I talk to? How do I 
make sure I do that work. So community is going to be really important. School communities are going to be really important. And all those skills around that we're talking about now in schools around um, mental health, physical health, couldn't be more important. So it's the, it's the fine grain of that. I wonder whether that sense of belonging is now the most important um, issue for, for teachers, I suppose. Um, having been a principal for a long time and, and worked in school systems, it seems to me that um, students that are well-nurtured and, and have that sense of belonging um, and, and really know that they've got um, people sort of uh, who care about them are actually going to be able to um, work through this pandemic better perhaps than those who are who are maybe disengaged and detached. And that's where I wanted to just finally bring this in. I, I wonder what you've learnt about that um, that detachment, which which I consider being, you know, actually removing themselves from school or disengagement where they're just not committed to to or able to be able to participate in schooling as well as they could. What do we know about those particular people in, in your study and, and have they been able to recover? Yes, actually, it's a really, you, you've hit the nail on the head there too, that schools can be a real source of anchoring and giving young people a sense of, I belong here. I am heard here. I learn things here that are really important to me. That, that is probably one of the most important things that um, we can now do. The more we can do that, the better. Yes, it's a big struggle for people who feel disengaged, who feel unheard, who feel they're not being heard in school or feel that they don't belong there. It remains to be seen if the implications of that for this generation are more of concern than they were for previous ones. Eventually, we found, eventually, those young people who were early school leavers, who were disengaged, they do make their way back. But it's hard. And this it may be too hard this time around for those who become disengaged during COVID. It is hard and it, it's a long path, longer path even than for those who were engaged. So it's very important to ensure that we acknowledge all that diversity and the different needs of young people so they feel they belong. Look, we, we could talk, I would love to talk about this for, for the next couple of hours, but I think it's fascinating to be able to um, follow the patterns of people's lives and just to understand um, what impact some of the some of the things that we do in schools has on them. So um, yeah, it's 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 a brilliant um, piece of work, and and obviously it's going to continue. So thank you for today. I know it's been brief, but um, you've certainly given us um, a, a, a taste of what it is that you've been working on for a long period of time, and um, I really appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. So thank you, and keep going with this great work. Will do. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you, Jim and Joanna. I'm sure we'll all be looking forward to hearing more about the findings of the study over the next few years. You can find out more about Life Patterns at www.education.unimelb.edu.au forward slash YRC. Talking Teaching is produced by Zane Kingy and myself. Thanks for listening today and see you next time.